You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Father, we praise you and thank you that your son is alive. We are here, we gather because of that fact to know, Lord God, that you have given your son for us and that when he came and died on a cross, he did not stay dead, but rose, rose again, defeating death, defeating our sin and rising again to new life, now able to share all of that, both the forgiveness of sin and the rescue from death and the gift of eternal life in Christ. Sharing that with all those who ask, all those who cry out to you and trust in you. So Father, we have gathered to remember that. We've gathered to sing about that. We've gathered even to see that displayed in baptism today. So Father, help us, help us to celebrate that very fact for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. It is great to be back with you again. Uh, Lisa and I were away. We were serving a church in India. Uh, Some of you who were at the prayer meeting got to hear a little bit about that this past week. Maybe more info will be coming in the coming weeks. Very encouraging just to see what God is doing around the world. But of course, it's always good to come home. It's great to see family, faces. Although some of you I've never met before, it's great to see some visitors here today. I don't know if you're here uh, just checking out the church, you got invited, or maybe you're here to see a baptism. Uh, Maybe it's a family member or a friend who you've come to see and support in baptism. Maybe you're familiar with baptism. Maybe that's a familiar word or you've seen it done or what happens when that happens. Uh, Maybe it's totally unfamiliar. Maybe this is a new idea for you. And so what we're hoping to do today is look at baptism and what is it and what it is not. And the best place to go for that is the Bible, God's perfect word that is sufficient for all of life and godliness. And so if you have a Bible with you, flip it open to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We love giving them out. Just indicate that, raise your hand, and an usher is coming right now to give one to you. If you don't own a Bible, that's yours. Now now you do. And flip open to Matthew 28. Um, In the very front is the table of contents. You'll find Matthew. It'll be near the back of the Bible. If you're already there, if you're in Matthew 28, you'll realize that's at the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. There's 28 chapters in that. And we're in the 28th chapter. And you'll notice as well, we're going to be looking at the very last three verses. And you know, like when you're at a family reunion or you're with some friends that you know you're not going to see for a very long time, your parting words, those last words that you talked about and share with them are pretty important. You want to choose those words wisely. And this is exactly what we see here. Jesus is just about to go back to heaven. And before he leaves, he is sharing some things with the disciples, those who have trusted in him, those who are following him. He's gonna give them some very important words, words that we call great. And we call them great 
because they're tied to a mission that Jesus is about to give them. It's called the Great Commission. It's wrapped up even in our own mission statement. So you'll see on either side here, we have our mission statement as a church here at Harvest Bible Chapel, to glorify God, that is to make his name great in the world by what? By making disciples, by fulfilling the Great Commission. And what's driving that? The spirit of the great commandment, to love God and love others with all our hearts. So that is our mission statement here as a local church at Harvest Brampton, and we get that from the Bible. So let's read this important, this great mission that Jesus has given us in his church. Starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We see in this great commission, there's three things that Jesus wants to really clarify for us. The first one is this, is that Jesus has all authority. He has all authority to save. When you have authority, you have the right to do something. And what, is, what does Jesus have the right to? Very simply, Jesus has the right to rule the entire universe and to save whoever he wants. That's what Jesus has the authority. In fact, he has all of the authority. He rules over all of the universe and is able to do that very thing. He is able to save anyone. Jesus, we have to remember, Jesus came from heaven. Jesus is God already. He already has all the power, but now he has authority. What does he have authority to do? To forgive. You can't just sweep sins under the rug and just pretend they're not there. That wouldn't be just. And so Jesus, God, the very son of God, comes from heaven and on a a rescue mission to save us, to rescue us from our sins. And in order to do that, he had to do a few things. One, he had to become human in order to save humans. And so that's what he did. That's what we remember at Christmas. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, He is God in the flesh. So Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came, but he also had to do something else. He had to live a perfect life that was sinless. He didn't mess up once. He perfectly obeyed God, perfectly trusted God. We needed a perfect person in order to take on our sin, to be our perfect substitute someone who would take our place, someone who would take our sin and who would take the punishment of those sins. You see, sin has a death penalty. And it's not just a penalty for this life, but for the next one too. It's, it's an eternal death in hell. And Jesus came to rescue us from that. And the way he did that was to take on our guilt, to take on our sins on himself and then pay the death penalty, that eternal death penalty on the cross. And when he did that, he destroyed the power of death. He was able to forgive and actually pay for those sins. But the great and good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. And his resurrection 
means so much. Sometimes we remember the cross and we think of the cross, but we forget the resurrection because the resurrection is actually, as Pastor Ted once said, the receipt, the proof of payment that God received that yes, everything that you paid for is paid in full. All of the sins that you paid for, paid in full. The death penalty, yes, paid. And the resurrection is the receipt for that. So that now, anyone who comes to Jesus asking for forgiveness, he's like, yep, it's on my tab. I got that one. It was finished already. And he's able now to give forgiveness justly to anyone who asks. He has all authority. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose to new life, resurrected, indestructible life. And he's also able to give that too. Not only is he able to give everyone who asks for forgiveness, forgiveness, he's also able to share with them his eternal life. And so that is what happens when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are saved. And Jesus alone has the authority to do this. No one else has the authority to do this. No one is God like Jesus, and no one is perfect like Jesus. No one died and in dying took on all of our sins like Jesus. No one has risen from the dead like Jesus. Jesus alone qualifies. Jesus alone, therefore, has all authority to rule the universe and forgive everyone who asks him. Amazing, amazing. And Jesus, that's the first thing that he says out of his mouth. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. The second thing we see is that Jesus not only has that, but he's given us a promise. He's given us a promise that he will always be with us. He will always be with us. That's in verse 20. Verse 20 says, at the very end, halfway down there, the last few words of the book of Matthew Jesus says, and behold, look, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with his people always. There isn't a time where a disciple of Jesus Christ can ever say, I'm alone. God is not with me. There are times that we feel distant from God, but these are the truths that we need to recall in those moments that Jesus himself says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is why, this is why Jesus is called at the very beginning of this book in Matthew 3, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Surely he is with us always to the very end of the age, both individually, personally, and together corporately with his church. Jesus promises us as his disciples. He is with us always. He is with us always. And it's important that Jesus said those two things, that he has all authority and that he promises to always be with us. We needed to know that because of what he says in the middle in verse 19, that Jesus has actually commanded us to go and make disciples, to be on mission. He's given us a mission and a mandate and we need that, that reminder that he has all authority and the promise that he's always with us in order to fulfill the mission he sent us on, to make disciples. That's there in the beginning of 19. Jesus says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He has sent us, every, everyone, everyone who trusts in Jesus is a disciple of Christ and he sends us to go and make more disciples, to tell the good news of this Jesus who has all authority, this Jesus who never leaves you, this Jesus who is able to forgive you and save you and give you eternal life and to take this message of Jesus, the one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved to all nations, to all cultures, to every continent, to every nation, tribe, and language. It doesn't matter your education level, your age, your economic status. That means nothing. If you are human, you qualify to hear this message. Jesus sends his disciples and says, don't keep it to yourself. Go and make more. Tell people of me and what I have done for them. So kind of the Lord. This is a global scope. This isn't just a small wee little mission. It is to spread to every corner of the earth. Now, it's kind of daunting initially to think of this mission, and, and immediately we might ask, well, how do we go about doing this? How do we go about doing this incredible mission? And again, God hasn't left us in the dark. He gives us three words in this passage that are very clarifying for us on how we go about fulfilling this great commission, how we go about spreading the name of Jesus and making disciples of Christ. And the first is almost too obvious, but it's right there. It's usually the first word in verse 19. If you see it there, go, go. We make disciples by going. We make disciples by initiating, by being proactive, the very same way that Jesus initiated toward us, coming from heaven to earth, becoming one of us, that he might save us, that he might rescue us. And if Jesus was sent from heaven, he now sends us. Go. We are initiative takers as followers of Christ. We don't just wait around. We go with the message. That's the first word that clarifies how we are to make disciples. We make disciples by going. But there's another word there you'll notice is baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The, the one name of the triune God, the Lord God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To go and baptize these people who are professing faith in Christ, who are trusting in Christ, are saying, yes, I have asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and have surrendered the control of my life to him. I wanna follow him. He says, baptize them. Now, baptism is a unique word. Uh, there's, sometimes uh, we may have uh, background or experience with, with baptism, but we, again, we just wanna look clearly at what God means by Baptism here. Jesus loved the idea of baptism. It was something that he himself did. He was baptized in Matthew 3. He was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness in fully obeying his Father as God. And now he calls all of his disciples who worship and trust in him as God to also be baptized as he was. And we get this idea, not only does he model it for us, but he commands it here in Matthew 28 that we ought to also be baptized. But 
why baptism? What, what is baptism? We need to look at that word in and of itself. It simply means immersion. It means to be immersed, to be plunged, to be submerged under. That's what it means. That's what it literally means. Like if a student was in French immersion, they are being immersed into an environment of French education, French-speaking education. Very similarly, anyone who is desiring biblical baptism is being immersed into water. Now, we see this again and again in the New Testament because they're always looking for lots of water when they're going to baptize people. Like in John 3.23, there was lots of water in a certain area in the Jordan River. So we, or they wanted to baptize. Why? They wanted to make sure they got all the way under. That's what immersion means. So they're looking for pools, they're looking for rivers, stuff like that. But what's so important about baptism? Why the idea of baptism? It's because baptism is the perfect picture of the gospel. It's a perfect picture of what Jesus does when he saves someone. Baptism does not save anyone. It's a picture of how Jesus has already saved someone. The scripture is very clear that someone hears the gospel, puts their faith in Christ and is saved, and then they are baptized because the picture always points backward to the reality. You don't wanna mix those or that order up. The scripture never does and we ought not to either. We're always wanting baptism to follow the reality, but that's what makes baptism so rich, such an amazing portrait of the gospel. It has all these different colors and hues that so paint a beautiful and accurate understanding of what Jesus has done in saving us through the gospel. And what does he do? Well, the first kind of picture that we get, a significant way that baptism tells us, shows us what the gospel is, is that it's a display of being cleansed from sin. It's, it's a picture of being cleansed from sin. When, when someone comes up out of the water, it's as though uh, it's a picture of how their sins have already been washed away. We get this from Acts 22, verse 16, among many verses. This one's helpful. It says, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on his name simply means to trust in Jesus' name to save you. Calling out to Jesus saying, Jesus, save me, forgive me. And when one does that, it says that their sins are washed away. And then that's pictured afterward by being baptized. You see that picture? It is a picture of as someone's coming up out of the water, it's as though their, their sins have been washed away. And that's what happens when they trust in Christ by faith and baptism is a beautiful picture of that. It's also another picture though, another picture that we get in baptism is being born again. New life, new birth. A great passage there for us is in Romans 6. Romans 6, three to four says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too 
might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of rebirth, of being born again. There was a death that happened and then a new birth that happened. The, the dying part is the going under water. It's a picture of dying, of being buried. We, we typically encourage people not to try to breathe under the water. That happened last night. And so we are encouraging people again, don't try it. it it's, it's a picture of death. And that may happen to you if you try. And so that is, that's the, the idea. You're dying. Well, what are you dying to? You're, you're dying to that old way of living. Who you used to be before Jesus saved you. The ways you used to think. The ways you used to live and behave. The things you used to love and crave and go after. I'm dying to that. That's no longer me. I'm new. I'm new. And that's the picture of coming up out of the water. This idea of, of being born again. That you might now walk in newness of life. This resurrected life. That's the picture that's going on. Now this going down and coming up doesn't make any sense if we're doing it all alone. The key is in Christ. That we're born again in Christ. Or as Romans 6 talks about, we were buried with Christ. There's this constant language in the New Testament that anyone who's trusting in Jesus is connected to Jesus. Anything that happens to Jesus then also happened to you. When Jesus died on the cross and was buried, he was dying for your sins. And so when you, this, that's what baptism, baptism is picturing, your connectedness to Jesus, that when he died, he was dying for my sins. And when he was buried, he was being buried for me. He was dying to my old way of living. He was paying the price for all of that. But when he rose from the dead three days later, I also get in on that too. I now, when he was rising, he was rising on my behalf that I might have new life, that I might walk in resurrected life, that I may live in newness of life. This is an incredible picture. All of this displayed in the waters of baptism. But there's one more picture. Not, as, not only is it a, a display or a painting of being washed or cleansed from sin and being born again, but it, it takes that idea of unity one step further that not only are we connected to Jesus, but we're connected to everyone who is also connected to Jesus. That means we're connected to each other. And it really displays this idea of connectedness. Acts 2, 41 really brings this out. Acts 2, 41 says, so those who received his word, in this situation, Peter was was announcing how Jesus had, had paid for people's sins and people were receiving it, saying, I believe it. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I'm trusting in him as my Lord and Savior. They, they received that word and were baptized. And there were added that day, added that day, about 3,000 souls. We see this, this repeatedly throughout the New Testament, this idea of being added and all that means is that the clear pattern of scripture is that when someone trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they are baptized and added to the church family, welcomed into the church family. They are recognized as being part of the family of God. That's why we call one, another's, one another brothers and sisters, because we're siblings in faith in Christ. 
Jesus as our elder brother who has saved us, God the Father as our Father who has adopted us, is a beautiful picture. And baptism is saying not only that this person is saying, I'm united to Jesus, but it's an opportunity for us as the church to say, welcome. Welcome. You are a part of the family. You are in. Come on. Pray, let's praise the Lord together for what he has done in all of our lives, saving us by his grace. And this is the picture that these candidates, these people who are coming forward for baptism are going to paint for us. They're going to be painting this beautiful picture of the gospel in just a moment. How the gospel, how Jesus Christ has saved them, cleansed them from their sin, given them new life, and has united him and them to Christ and to us. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful picture. In fact, in the painting of this picture, they're actually doing and beginning to do the last thing that Jesus says that we are to do in making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. How? By going by baptizing and by teaching. You see that there at the very beginning of verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. They are now beginning to do that very thing. As they stand in this pool or tank of water and testify, that means they give an account of how Jesus has saved them. They're teaching us. They're beginning to teach us. They're beginning to teach us that he's worth it all. They're beginning to teach us that Jesus is the Lord of their life. They're teaching us that this is what it looks like to take that first step of obedience and seeking to live a life fully obedient to Jesus and all that he has said. They're beginning to teach us that, which is very important, when, especially when we consider baptism. Sometimes you, you may be here today and you, you may consider yourself a believer or a follower of Jesus and yet have not yet been baptized. You haven't taken that step of obedience in baptism as a believer. And there, be a, there may be a variety of reasons for that. Sometimes fear is often one of those reasons. It could be a fear of, of man, of what other people might think. It might be a fear of speaking, of you know, saying something wrong or embarrassing. It might be a fear of water itself and going under it. Or it may be a fear, it may simply be a fear that you're not good enough, that your baptism won't work in some way, it won't stick. But brothers and sisters, you need to remember that the gospel has already addressed every one of these fears. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so we, the gospel reminds us and the spirit empowers us actually to be reminded that Jesus has already taken care of all these fears, that it doesn't matter what other people think. You know what God already thinks. He has already fixed. You know his opinion of you because he's already forgiven you. He's already adopted you. He's already clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. You stand right in his sight. You, his opinion is the, really the only one that matters. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter about what, if you've been good enough because Jesus was already good enough for you. That's, that's why he saved you. That's why he came to save you. He knew that we wouldn't be good enough. Baptism isn't about getting good enough and getting all your ducks in a row and becoming good enough and then I'll get baptized. 
Jesus is already good enough for you. And it, it doesn't matter about fearing water. Water is a part of God's good creation. And, and you need to know that the pastors here have a 100% rate of resurfacing. Everyone that goes into this tank. We almost broke that record last night, but it went well and we're still at 100%. So you just need to know, just, there's no need to fear in taking that step of obedience to Jesus as his disciple. It's a part of being a disciple. It's a part of making disciples. It's a part of the Great Commission itself. And so we are about to see this beautiful little piece of the Great Commission take one step further. The Great Commission is continuing to advance and we're going to see three people get baptized. So as they come and are baptized, I really want us to kind of lean in and hear their stories and watch their baptisms. Watch how the gospel is painted in front of you and listen in on how God has authored their story of salvation, how he's uniquely saved them by the same Jesus, by the same gospel, uniquely carried out into this person's life. And let's celebrate. Let's really celebrate what God has done that he might get all the praise and all the glory. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness in sending us the son. Father, you are amazing and so kind. Lord, to see today how we are going to be reminded again of the gospel, the very gospel that for some of us here has saved us, and we may even be reminded of our own baptism as we see these people baptized. And Lord, I pray it would be an encouragement for those who have not yet been baptized that you would be stirring in their heart saying, yes, Lord, I surrender and I follow you. I pray, Lord, for these people who are about to be baptized, that you would give them such joy as they recount to all of us how you have saved them. To you be the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.